And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. (laughs) Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. And I am joined once again by my good friend, Writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Phillies, Diamondbacks, postseason baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Took me a long time to get through that. Doug, happy NLCS to you. Thank you, man. I've been miming out every time you do this. Now I'm sort of, you know, figured if we're on YouTube now, so I can do that. I can just mime out what you're saying. Uh, right. So it's my it's my workout my my uh, you know, hotel workout. I'm doing great, man. Um, you know, not a lot of travel to report, thankfully, because you know we were in Philadelphia for the previous round, and then we're back in Philadelphia. So I was able to go home and then take the train a couple times. That was cool. It took me back to my engineering days at Penn. You know, <laughs> loving trains, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was very cool. Um, I worked on my Spanish because there was a couple of travelers that. Needed some translation. My Spanish Maybe is yeah. decent. So, uh, yeah, I helped them out. Felt like I did something for the day in, in bilingual skills and try to work on that. You know, I think they understood what I was saying. So hopefully <laughs> they're not in Texas when they wanted to be in New York, but we'll, we'll never know. No. Uh, but, yeah, everything everything's good. Very excited to be here in Philly. Yeah, you left out the best part. It's one of those rare times when we are actually both in the same place, and that place is not Starkville. What are the odds? Well, we have a really fun series to cover. Doug, Phillies, Diamondbacks, and you know who else will be there? Jeff Rancourt and Ron Darling, two of the very best analysts in this sport. Uh, They'll be broadcasting this along with Brian Anderson on TBS. But first, they were cool enough to visit us in Starkville. Jeff, Ronnie. How are you guys? Hey, how you guys doing? Thanks for having us. Yeah, honored to be here, guys. Honored to have you. So I, I know that Brian Anderson somehow recruited both of you to <laughs> join us. And I know he wants our heartfelt thanks for that, which he deserves, okay? But I am curious. How did BA talk you into this on game day while talking himself off of the show? I, I, I know he's persuasive. I didn't know he was that persuasive. 
Well, I don't think he sold it, sold it to us the right way. I'll tell you exactly how it happened. It <laughs> happened after one Manhattan for dinner for me. It, uh, it became an easier sell. But uh, Frenchie and I did not know that he was not going to appear on the show until we had our meeting this morning. So, uh, yes, he is very influential. And I hope he, at least he gets a Starkville T-shirt or something. Yeah, he, he caught us after dinner last night, and I had about a 16-ounce steak and steak out potatoes. So I was in a great mood. And I'm like, let's do it. He, he is the master. Um, just since our producer, Tim McMaster, is listening to this, Tim, this is how it's done? Okay. <laughs> wine and wine and steaks. That's wine right. and steaks works every time. And I'm Manhattan. All right. So, hey, look, before we look ahead at this series that we're all covering, uh, I feel like it makes sense to take a quick look back at how we got here, because how we got here involved the two winningest teams in the National League, Braves and Dodgers. Mm. Uh, getting wiped out, like going a shocking one and six between them in the division series against the Phillies and Diamondbacks. So, uh, Jeff, let's start with you. Uh, I mean, you see the Braves all year long. What happened to that team and that offense against the Phillies? You know, the bats just, I mean, they literally went cold. And I, I said it, you know, it, it starts at the top. And Ronald Acuna was so dynamic all year getting on base, making pitchers have to work make him worried about holding him on, doing all this stuff. And the Phillies kept him off the base pass. And, you know, when you when you look at what the Braves did during the regular season, they never went through a stretch for four games where they only scored eight runs. And mind you that one of those runs was unearned, if you remember the first run they got in game two. So, you know, look, they'll be all talk. We know it because it's the second year in a row that the Dodgers and Braves have been the one-two seed and vice versa and got knocked out. But at the end of the day, I give a lot of credit to the Phillies and the Diamondbacks because ultimately you play what you're dealt with. This is how the schedule aligns. And give credit, that Phillies bullpen came out in numerous times and got some huge outs against, you know, this Braves offense that set records. So, you know, while we can look at it a hundred different ways, the Phillies pitching staff did an unbelievable job of taking the best offense in baseball and silencing them for four days. Yeah, we could spend a lot of time talking about what went wrong with the Braves. Yeah. But, but Ron, you were on Arizona, L.A. Yeah. The Dodgers never held a lead for one inning or one batter even against the Diamondbacks. What was your view on what happened to them? Well, I think if you ask Doug and, and Jeff, uh, the best way to have a really half-hearted effort and be uh, criticized as a team is when your starting pitching is no good. I mean, the ERA of the starters for the Dodgers was over 25. Um, they were behind so many runs early in the game. So people will say, well, the Dodgers look flat. Well, they didn't really look flat. The, the Diamondbacks just took it to them, and, and that can happen. And I guess, I guess we should address, you know, this layoff that these teams who win the division have the best records have. Um, I'm not a... a a kind of person that thinks that we should change the rules all of a sudden and that we should protect these teams that have won a lot of games. We tend to forget that during these five days that they have off, they got a chance to get healthy. They got a chance to put their pitchers exactly where they need them. And they get in the, and they're in a beautiful place. Um, listen, teams go away for the all-star break for four or five days and you don't even know where the players are. 
and sometimes they come <laughs> back and win five and six in a row. So um, anyone who plays in this postseason knows that it's not six months, it's that seven, seventh month that's the most important. And uh, it's not always the teams that played the best over six months, it's the teams that are playing best in October. That's kind of always been the case. Um, and I would like to see a, a larger sample size before we just chuck it and and make um, make adjustments to to help these teams that won 100 games. That seems almost uh, um, funny to me to even say it. <laughs> yeah, I just wrote, I wrote all about this. But, Doug, I'd love to have you weigh in on that. Yeah, well, and you know, I guess in conjunction with what Ron's saying, like the – I, I am kind of curious about just thinking about the starting pitching and how it played a role in these series. Uh, you know, you look at like take the regular season in some degrees to some degree for the Braves and the Dodgers, the playoffs became a microcosm of their season, right? Th those teams, you know, wiped a lot of teams out, but they always had broken pitching staffs. Uh, the Dodgers, I mean, they were missing how many all-stars are they missing right now? <laughs> Even if you include Trevor Bauer, right? I mean, they have, you know, Gonsolin was out and Arias was out and Walker Bueller was out. They were always operating on, you know, one out of five starters, basically. And they were relying on, you know, Miller, great arm, but young guy. Um, and, and even on the Brave side, they were banged up the whole year. Uh, Freed was going out, blisters, missing months. So there's there's an element of they were also just kind of fragile in some way. And the and the, if you look at the starter depth of the, the Phillies, they have like six starters. You know, they, <laughs> Ranger Suarez, these guys. You know, Michael Renson's like an afterthought. And he's an all-star. You know? yeah. So, so I think you know. So they're you know they could they could have constructed it almost any way they wanted. You know, and and they started off with Suarez, who literally shut down the Braves. Uh, so I guess my question directed sort of to Ron is, you know, looking at the evolution of how starters are set up, and then you have like a one-two punch, Gallon Kelly getting off to a great start in the Dodgers series. I guess what do you see about you know how the starters um, sort of position themselves, I guess, and they're significant in these series? Yeah, a great question. I, I think we've seen all kinds of kind of scenarios in the postseason. Uh, the openers, we've seen bullpen games, we've seen everything that you'd want to see. But this series might have something that will remind you of the of the mid-80s or, or something <laughs> of the early 90s. You might have pitchers um, that might be going into the seventh inning, getting outs uh, in the seventh inning. And that'll be fun to watch for me, uh, of course. Um, I think what, what you have is Philadelphia is um, – they're a monolith. You know, they, they, they could run right through this postseason. That's how good they are. That's how good their three starters are with, with Wheeler, Nola, and Suarez in the bullpen. Um, but Arizona could upset this apple cart because they've had two series, the Dodgers and the Phillies now, where their pitching has lined up perfectly that Gallon and Kelly can start two times each if they need be. And the only way, I think, for Arizona to win this series is that those guys, Gallon and Kelly, start four times and they win three of those games. If Arizona can do that, then you might be looking at uh, a real upset because Philadelphia, to me, is uh, – with, with, the, with the home field advantage that I haven't seen at a baseball stadium in quite some time, um, it's going to be hard to get past that. Yeah, I want to circle back to all that. Jeff, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think, you know, look, to, to finish off the schedule stuff, the only thing I would change is make the, make the NLDS best of seven. We see it in hockey. We see it in basketball. It's two more games. And, and Dougie made a great point. The Braves and Dodgers pitching staff were both 
hurt by injuries late in the season. But usually, why do teams win 104 games? Is because your staff is deep. And so that would be my one advantage. And if you make it a best of seven, games three and four usually would be an advantage for the best teams because they have a deeper staff. That's the only thing I'd like to see. I agree with Ron. I don't want to punt, do this just because of two years. Uh, I think looking at this this series, Corbin Carroll is going to be the key to me. He has he has been on base all the time. I think Ronnie had told us this morning in our meeting over like a 556 on base percentage in the postseason. Again, the Phillies kept Ronald Acuna off the bases. It made everything else line up. If Corbin Carroll gets on the bases, all of a sudden with Marte and Walker, it, it makes them more dangerous because you're going from the stretch. You're worried about the stolen base. I think that's going to be a huge key. If he has a good series, him and him and Marte at the top of the lineup, I think they will put some pressure on, on the Phillies to be able to do it. But again, as Ronnie said, games three and four, I know Doug was here too. It is so loud in this place and the home field advantage. It, it's cra they're crazy. I thought these fans were crazy when I was up here in 15 and we lost 99 <laughs> games, Jason. Now all of a sudden they have an unbelievable team. It, it's a party at the uh, park every night. Boy, there, there's so much here. Um, before we get too far away from the, the, the theme of what happens in the division series. I, you know, I wrote a column after game four. Uh, it really stirred up some reaction out there. In fact, had 500 story comments before my alarm even went off the next morning. Okay, <laughs> Never experienced that in my life. And I, it just felt to me like people were looking for reasons, excuses really for why the yeah. Dodgers, Braves, Orioles, the buy teams, Lost in the first round uh, must be the layoff, must be the format. Isn't it possible that October baseball is just different than April to September baseball? And some teams are better built for it. I think the Phillies are. I actually think the Diamondbacks are. The Astros are totally built yeah. for it, even though they lost game one. I I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one, Ron. Well, uh, I mean, take the Phillies. Uh, the Phillies take the first 50 games off every year, the first couple of <laughs> the last two years. I mean, certainly this year it was because, um, you know, they got better once they got Bryce in there every single day. But, um, yeah, it's it's just um, – it's it's w what happens is that there's different phases of baseball, right? And Doug and Jeff used to go to spring training. That's some kind of baseball. And then you get to the regular season, that's another kind of baseball. And then you get to September, and that's a whole different kind of baseball. And then postseason now is such a gauntlet that um, I, I think momentum plays a huge part in, in today's uh, October baseball. Um, you know, Arizona came into this with a chip on their shoulder. Um, they were supposed to be the team to go out first. They faced Milwaukee. And Milwaukee gets on them uh, on top of them in both games. They score six unanswered in game one, five unanswered in game two. They roll through the Dodgers like the Dodgers were the 84-win team and they were the 100-win team. Um, I, I think we're, we're at a point now where, where momentum um, and, and how you're playing and, and a little bit of luck, like I said, for the Diamondbacks, they're going to have their best pitchers pitching. If they didn't have Gallon or Kelly – to start and they had to start games four and five of the DS against the Dodgers, let's say in a deep series. And they had to start fought today. Brandon fought great young pitcher. His best years are ahead of him. 
but that would be a difficult road to go. Um, so everything's kind of worked out uh, in their favor. And, and I think for, for postseason baseball, you know, the best teams kind of rose to the front when I played because there just wasn't as much, many games. And now you have to cover and win, what, 13 games you got to win? And, um, you know, th- that's, that's a, lot, a lot of baseball. They don't end until November 4th if they play the seventh game of the World Series. So I, I think just, you know, I, I, I was a believer in 2019. I watched that Nationals team play that year. And they went from, what, 19 and 31 to winning the World Series. What they did in October, if you had not seen the regular season, you say this is one of the greatest collection of baseball <laughs> players ever on, on a team. That was the same team that was there in April and May. So uh, I'm a big believer since 2019. Yeah, you said that well. Jeff, I, w- I want to ask you about an- another aspect of Arizona. You know, they feel to me like the kind of team that could shake the Phillies out of this October comfort zone. You know, we're, um, we're recording this before game one. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening right now already know what happened in that game, but no team in the sport <clears throat> was better built for new rules baseball than the Diamondbacks. Mm-hmm. Seriously. And the, the Phillies have some pitchers who have struggled to control the running game, especially Craig Kimbrell, who could be in there at the back end with a one-run lead. Yep. So uh, even though the Phillies held the Braves to two steals in that whole series, you think that they can keep the Diamondbacks from wreaking havoc running the bases? Well, that's a great question because if you think about the Braves, they had all these stolen bases because why? They had one guy who had 73 of them and Ronald Acuna. I mean, <laughs> yeah. They don't have a lot of base stealers. Look at the Diamondbacks. That's different. They got four or five guys that are looking to run, looking to steal. So the ability for them, if they get some of those guys on, I think it's going to be a huge part. Uh, You're going to see that become what the Diamondbacks want to do. They they want to get you in a game that's that's not, you know, normal, not what they're used to. They want to they want to put pressure, put the ball in play. You know, I was talking to couple of Diamondbacks players yesterday that's what the key for us this year is going to be putting the ball in play not letting the Phillies rack up strikeouts on us and I think that's going to be interesting because you know you talk about bullpens like Ronnie said very I think what the game one of the ALCS is the first time we've seen two starters combined go six plus and very well we could have that in game one of the NLCS when you're talking about Gallon and and Wheeler, but bullpens are such big parts of the playoffs and getting hot at the right time because of how many innings they cover. You know, you, you talk about Ronnie was talking about the 19 nationals. We did that. And it was unbelievable how hot they got. If you look back to the 21 Braves, they didn't get over 500 until the first or second day of August. And all of a sudden they got hot. They had Matzik that had that incredible postseason you know, and, and mentor and what they're able to do. So it is, it's teams getting hot at the right time. And that's the thing. I was talking to Paul Seawall yesterday and he told me the best thing he said, if we had to come up and play Philly in that, the the best of three wild card, he said, man, we would have struggled. I don't know if our guys were ready for it yet. We were coming off. We had lost four games in a row, you know, to get into the postseason. He said, but we gained confidence in Milwaukee. And then we gained a lot of confidence because, you know, Ronnie was on that call and the Dodgers. I mean, they looked the Dodgers in the face and punched them for three straight days. So this is a team coming in with a lot of confidence, too, which I think makes a makes a big deal. 
Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, I interviewed, uh, talk, or at least talking to Zach Gallen before the Brewer series, and you talk about the running game. And one thing he said is he kind of explained that, yeah, there's times, you know, I'm going to have that bigger leg kick because I need to make a certain kind of pitch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so there's always this like cat and mouse game of when we want to let the running game go a little bit because I got to make a pitch <laughs> and, you know, and when you try to like, you know, fully try to shut it down. What I think is interesting about these two teams is Real Muto, by the way, has, you know, one of the best pop times in the game. This is a, a excellent thrower. Uh, and, and you can see because of the new rules is that it's, it's shifted it even more towards I'm running off the pitcher. I'm, I'm running off the pitcher now, right? Now, and it, it's what makes, uh, you know, Gabby Moreno for the D-backs incredible because he still threw out 40% of the runners you know, in his first year. So not only did they adapt, the Diamondbacks adapt to the new rules on the running side, they actually adapted to shut it down. So I think they get like a two for one in, in the running game. They not only expanded their capability, they also reduced the exposure to it. Uh, so, so I'm curious with Ronnie, because I think we talked about this yesterday, uh, Ron, the other day, that, um, you know, you talked about having Vince Coleman and Eric Davis and people you had to deal with. So, you know, what does a pitcher do in that situation to really accentuate the value of, of their catcher? You had, you had Gary Carter. I mean, you had guys that could throw. Yeah, and uh, go back to Philly days, Juan Samuel, one of the most dynamic players in the game during the 80s. Um, yeah, there's what has happened has been an evolution in the game. <clears throat> Excuse me. As far as pitchers and how they take care of the running game. When I pitched, you were in charge. I mean, it's your run. <laughs> You're in charge of making sure he stays at first base. So you did everything you could. Now the disengagement stopped that, right? It makes it very difficult on pitchers. But you did everything you could from quick pitching, slide stepping, holding the runner as long as you could. You were a base dealer. You know all the uh, tricks that pitchers tried to do. But we've evolved to the point where managers have been calling the pick, the throwovers, the step-offs, all of those things for years and years. So we have pitchers now that are rote. If they don't get a signal from the bench, they are concentrating on the hitter. And we have runners, you and I talked about them, we have runners that are jumping into their lead. They're going halfway before the pitcher delivers the ball. I've never seen anything like it. It looks very much like like Little League at, at times. Where, you, like, why is this pitcher not stepping off? It's because they're so, so used to getting the sign, the throw over. If I don't get the sign, well, the running game's on you, the manager. It's not on me. Um, we've seen Craig Kimbrell, I think, in the, in the series against the Braves, balk a runner to third because he didn't want him stealing his signs and he didn't want him uh, in his eyesight while he was trying to deliver the pitch. Um, so we're going to see a lot of those things. I'm hoping that Arizona doesn't err on um, on being very timid in this series. I hope they err on trying to run and win on the margins. I know, Jason, you love numbers. Do you ever hear about a team that hit 166 home runs and stole 166 bases. That's, to me, one of the craziest numbers ever, and you're right. It really it, is. There's never been a team built, um, and, and they didn't even know what it was going to be, that has taken advantage of these new rules better than Arizona, and they're going to have to continue to do that if they're going to try to win the series. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And, you know, one of the coolest things about October to me is when you have a breakout star that millions of people get a chance to really watch for the first time. Uh, you guys have mentioned it. I, on the National League side, that guy is Corbin Carroll. So uh, what's opened your eyes most about Corbin Carroll? Uh, is he the most important Diamondbacks position player in this series? And what level of stardom do you think it's safe to forecast for him? Jeff, I'll let you take it. Well, I, look, I think he's so dynamic in what he can do. Uh, he's got a great approach at the plate. He's not up there overmatched by anybody. You can tell the moment's not too big for him. He's already shown this postseason. Um, I talked to Ryan this morning. I, I think one of the biggest guys in this series is Cattell Marte. Uh, he is one of the most underrated baseball players. He, he just literally shows up every day. And, you know, he's played nine postseason games. A lot of people forget he was on that 17 team. And he's got a he's got a, a 1093 OPS. He's got, you know, <laughs> postseason in nine games. He's got three home runs. It's this kid. And I think because of Carroll and him at the top, like I said, they're going to be the key. If they get on, boy, they can they can really put pressure because both those guys have great speed. They have great baseball instincts something we don't talk about these days. I mean, those those guys know how to play the game the correct way. And if they get on, they set the whole the whole traffic up. Now, the tough thing for them is dealing with Zach Wheeler in game one because you're getting 98 coming at you. <laughs> and, you know, he's a different beast in the postseason. So that's the thing. Can he limit the running game? You know, in, in game, really, the postseason, we've not seen Zach Wheeler have to pitch out of the stretch too much. I mean, he takes <laughs> – on his own uh, by doing that. But I, I do, I think those two guys are going to be so key in this series because of just, like I said, the whole package and what they can do. They can hit for, for power. They can hit for average. They're quick. And again, they're two baseball instinct guys that, that just, they know how to play the game. You know, uh, Carol, Carol's interesting guys, because what do we, one of the things, a couple of things we love in baseball, we love teenagers who were brought up to the major leagues, who strike out old guys. And we like little guys <laughs> who could hit the ball forever. And Corbin Carroll is 165 pounds, soaking wet, pound for pound. He's probably the strongest guy in the game. <laughs> and he hit two, two of his three home runs have gone 450 and 444 feet. We love the little guy, uh, like the Altuve's, who play the big game. And Carroll's one of those. Uh let me talk about Bryce Harper just for a minute. Um, you know, the, the Diamondbacks, the last two years, 
Bryce Harper, 60 plate appearances, reach base 29 times, but but also no homers and 11 walks. And what that tells me is Tori Lavulo goes into these games saying, Bryce Harper is not going to beat me unless something goes wrong. Do you guys expect expect that approach to continue? Yeah, I think for Bryce Harper, the proper word, he is a savage when it comes to the postseason. I'll take, care of I'll take, I'll take Booney's, Booney's favorite word. I mean, he's a different beast. And I think it will be interesting because in game four, you saw the Braves take that approach. They were not giving Harper anything to beat him. And that's why I said I think Alec Bohm's a big key to this. He did not have a great NLDS. Strider made quick work of him. And if you're Gallon, look, if there's nobody on, they're not just going to feed him something down the middle, but they're, they're going to pitch to him, especially with Gallon and Kelly. But if there's a base runner on, and I don't care if it's on first base with with one or two outs, he ain't going to see nothing to hit. I mean, I think Torrey has shown you that. I think these pitchers will see it. So I think it's going to come up to, to Bohm and, and a couple of those guys behind him to get a big hit at some point to, to do it. Because in that that first series for the Phillies, you know, it was it was Turner – and it was Harper and then Castellanos down the lineup who really did the damage. So I, I think those are going to be that the four or five hitters for the Phillies to me are going to be the the big the big question in this series. You know, I've been real lucky. I've watched Harper uh, um, since he's come up. You know, with Washington and now Philadelphia, and uh, he's gotten better as a player. And he was great the second he was in the major leagues. Again, talking about teenagers coming up to the major leagues. Um, and now he's taken his game up another notch in the postseason. I know he made the base running mistake in game two. He's an outstanding base runner. Um, and, uh, you know, if you put him on base, he's going to affect the game in that way. Uh, but we saw with uh, Robert Suarez last year for the Padres, you know, when the moment gets huge, and this has been the case forever, there's certain guys, Reggie Jackson comes to mind uh, when I used to watch on the tube, and others that take it up uh, to an incredible, have the incredible ability to concentrate in in the noisiest of times. And when he gets in that box and he looks at the ground before he looks at the pitcher and he has that blank stare, um, it, it's something to behold. It's something that I love seeing in the game. And uh, he, he, you can't let him beat you. And I think that's why Arizona is going to have four, lefties in the bullpen is that once they get past the fifth or sixth inning, they're going to see Saul Frank. They're going to see Mantiply. They're going to, they're going to see whoever the left-hander is because Bryce will get his hits against left-handers. And we saw the home run against Brad hand, but usually a slug is a little less against the lefties. And that's what you're trying to do. You're not trying to stop them because you can't, you're trying to contain them. Well, you know, and I think about uh, meeting Rob Thompson the other day before uh, Castellanos won on his four home run binge. And, you know, the thing that was really interesting that he said is he's like, he knew in advance, he's like, Castellanos is locked in. Let me just tell you, I can see it. He knew. And the, the thing that he weighed was, do I move him from the sixth slot to the three slot? Because that's another regular season that makes it different. If you're in the regular season, you're like, oh, this guy's hot. Let's just move him off the lineup. He was worried about disruption of just like the comfort of him being in that in that zone. And so he left them there and he hit his four home runs in two days. And it's like, okay, I, it makes sense. 
Uh, and I think Castellanos now is going to be critical as they pitch around Harper. And, you know, they have that sort of second three group because he was about whatever, six or seven. Uh, they have that second group that he really anchored. And the bottom of the order destroyed. You know, they just took off on the Braves. Uh, and and so, I, you know, I'm fascinated about that, like, lineup changes. Because the Braves, remember, you know, Frenchie, like, they changed – uh, the lineup yeah. in game one. And that was like a big question. Like, oh my goodness. Uh, so so I guess I was curious, like uh, ripple effects of making changes that you didn't ordinarily do during the regular season. Uh, so I'll ask you that, Frenchie, on that one. Yeah, no, I, I look, I think you playoffs, you do things a little different. And we actually talked at breakfast this morning, me and Ronnie and BA about that. I said, I wonder if Cassianos does get moved up a little bit because you have to protect Harper now. Uh, he He's not going to get pitched to much and for good reason. And like you said, I'll, I'll give him a walk and take my chances. Look, he'll steal a base, but he's not Turner. He's not he's not dying to go right away. So it's going to come down to someone behind them happen to be able to come up with a big hit. Does that mean moving up Real Muto a spot or two? We've seen him have some big moments. He had a nice series against the Braves. He had a home run off Robertson in the uh, wild card series. So, but it's going to be someone coming up with a big hit because uh, agreed. I, I, you know, you know, Brian Snicker, we sat in his office after game after uh, started game four and he, he admitted, he said, look, if I could go back, I had one thing. I, should have either brought in hand to face Harper in that third inning against Elder, or I should have just walked him and just not even given that chance because that changed that whole game and the momentum. Because you you know this, that crowd in Philly, man, when Harper comes up, it's like they take it up to a whole nother level. And then if you give him the chance to go upper tank, I mean, that place just goes <laughs> off. It's like there's an earthquake battling. So I, I, think, I, I am going to be interested. But then again, as you said, they have such a darn good thing going. It's like, do you mess with that? Because you know, one thing, you got to have some length in the postseason too. You can't have that bottom of the order give you give Zach Gallon two or three times where it's like, I know I'm going to get three outs right here and four batters pretty easy. So that's the other thing. I would personally leave the lineup alone and 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 you just got to trust it that Baum and some of those guys can bounce back. Hmm. Uh, let's, let's talk about the atmosphere in Philadelphia a little bit. Uh, you know, Jeff, I told you the other day, I, I try to listen to you guys during the game in the ballpark. There are times it's so loud. I cannot hear a word you're saying. <laughs> Can you hear what BA is saying? Well, I can't, I, I, good enough for me is I'm still young enough. I feel like I have good hearing still. It hasn't, it hasn't left, you know, Ronnie might have to turn it up a tick. You know? I know. <laughs> Well, I was just thinking, if they can't hear us, good chance for us to get an Emmy this year. Yeah. <laughs> but it is. It's it's insane. You know, Jason, I told you I played here in 15, and we sucked. We lost 99 games. <laughs> and I fed off the energy of the crowd. I did. We, we were not great. Now, all of a sudden, you put a team out with these kind of superstars and this kind of thing. I mean, it it makes a big difference. And I – you know, it's funny – the Diamondbacks players were all the guys I talked to during the during the workout all kept asking me, so what was it really like? And I said, look, let's <laughs> find out at about seven o'clock tomorrow when this place is full an hour before first pitch. And so it's like anything, you can say you're ready for the moment, but when that moment presents itself in that in that then that crowd, you know, that's the other thing. Can these young guys for the Diamondbacks calm themselves down enough to to have at bats that we've seen them have all postseason? Well, you guys know I live in Philadelphia. Let me tell you about my theory, uh, uh, okay, about the 
the connection between the town and the team. I don't have to tell either of you that Philly can be a rough place to play, but I feel like uh, that generation of Philadelphians that was scarred by all the losing for like 50 years is not for the most part, the generation that's sitting in those seats now. Um, You know, it's been different. There's been a world, a team that's won the world series. There's been a team that won the super bowl. Um, I think that's a big part of it. It's what I see, but y- you guys get to see it from a different perspective. R- Ronnie, what are you seeing? Um, yeah, uh, I remember a time where I could not warm up in left field at Veterans Stadium. They used to have the mounds, if you're the visitor, behind the left field fence and for the home team behind the right field fence. Unless Steve Carlton was pitching, then they had a makeshift mound right in front of the dugout that he would warm up before a game. <laughs> uh, and when you would warm up behind the left field fence, the fans stood about 20 feet above you in the, in the bleachers up there, and they would dump beer and nuts, peanuts on you the entire <laughs> warm-up. Oh to the oh point where when the Mets got real good, so real hated in Philadelphia, <laughs> the makeshift mound in the bowels of the stadium that sometimes some of our pitchers would warm up to not get the abuse uh, of the fans. That oh. being said, the, the, the Philadelphia fan today, um, you're right. Uh, they have a love affair uh, with their teams and a love affair with this Philadelphia Phillies team. Um, I think they've got a, an openness, a toughness, a resiliency, um, that I'm sure if you're a Philadelphian, you admire because that's how you feel about your town. That's how you feel about your family. That's how you feel about yourself. Um, so it, it's it's a real unique feel um, to watch kind of the evolution of the Philadelphia Philly fan because um, those ugly days maybe of, of not getting wins or not having a winning ball club are gone. They are all about showing up and and making a difference. And I don't know if there's any other fan base in the game. Now, listen, there are tons of fan bases that uh, Arizona had 48,000 strong the other night. The Dodgers have 55 to 56 every night. It's not only showing up. It's it's standing up for three hours. The only time <laughs> I've ever seen that before was an extra innings in Houston, when the Mets played in 1986, we played 16 innings from get, inning nine to 16. The Houston Astro fans stood up for those seven innings. I've never seen postseason games where the stand, fans stand up for nine innings. That is remarkable. And, um, and, and Frenchie was right. When Bryce comes up in those certain moments, um, I feel like we're, we're in, in one of those, I don't know, gladiator days. We're, you know, we're all standing up and we don't know that everyone's got the thumbs up, not the thumbs down and the thumbs <laughs> up to, to watch Bryce do his thing. That's what it feels like to me anyways. Feels like, it feels like an SEC football game for three hours <laughs> yeah. in, Athens, in Athens, Georgia. And my first experience in Philly, guys, was unbelievable. It was 05, my rookie year. We went from New York, which I thought we went to, to Shea Stadium. I was getting yelled at, booed at. I was loving it. You know, I was thriving <laughs> off it. And I remember getting on the bus and Andrew Jones told me, he said, wait till we go to Philly when you go out there tomorrow. <laughs> so I'll never forget. I'm in right field during BP. I get a ball. 
I fake throw it to a kid. You know, I'm just trying to cause some stuff. And this kid tells me to F off, probably eight, <laughs> nine years old. And his, and his dad was sitting right next to him. And I remember I looked at his dad and I said, you should never let your boy talk to <laughs> And the dad looked at me and said, don't tell me how to raise my effing kid. And I'll never forget that. I'm like, wow, I'm definitely not in Atlanta anymore. This is <laughs> Chuck, you must have some perspective uh, on how things have evolved, right? You, you saw some stuff. You played in Philadelphia twice. Yeah, no, I, I think exactly, Jason, what you said is the the ability, and Doug can touch on it, that the fans now have seen them win. They've seen it. They believe they can win. They don't believe they're cursed anymore. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, the two the two things I think about my you know first couple of years in Philly, one was when J.D. Drew shunned the Phillies to like hold out and then get drafted by the Cardinals or signed with the Cardinals. And then he came to Philadelphia. So I'm, you know, JD is in the outfield. So they, had, he, he had no shot. So he comes off the field. I go to the outfield and I see batteries, chicken wings, like chargers. Like they threw everything under the sun. I was like, Ooh, thank goodness I'm on this side. Uh, and, uh, of course, like every week we had a fan run onto the field and, and the security, they, they treated him like he was a wide receiver over the middle. They had like 12 <laughs> linebackers in like security <laughs> outfit. So I was like, what is going on in this place? So of course, you know, I replaced Lenny Dykstra. So that was like, not the greatest thing. And when I signed the Phillies, they, you know, they traded me, the Phillies said, Oh no, Dykstra's done. He's not coming back. And then I show up in spring training. He's hitting in the batting cage. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, so I kind of like, now it's like a rivalry and all this stuff. So the Philly fans are getting madder at me. And so I earn the job. He retires. And then I start off hitting like 112. And, and, and so this is what I love about the Philly fans, right? They also do their research, okay? It's not like them talking. They actually study to basically go for your jugular. <laughs> so... <laughs> So this, so one fan apparently did this research that I, I, I did a whole thesis in college on designing a stadium at 30th Street Station. That was my engineering project. It's called Your Senior Design. And I did this project, and it, it's in the Hall of Fame, actually, now and all this stuff, right? They didn't build so, the stadium, by the way. Just so they never built it, right. <laughs> but they, they built Citizens Bank Park, but I made my case. <laughs> so I'm in the outfield hitting, you know, 112, and a fan he says, uh, hey, Glanville. Why don't you design a stadium you can hit in? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's pretty good. <laughs> so I was like, whoa, these guys are no joke. So I, I learned a couple fundamental truths. Respect the game in Philly, right? Respect yeah. the game. Play hard. Know your history, right? Uh, and, and they'll work with you. You know, they'll work with you even when you're struggling. And I think the big moment for me recently is just how they treated Trey Turner in his struggle and like give him a stand, you know, cheer for this guy. I think that's the evolution that's really interesting to me because I, I saw a lot of positive in Philly fans. They just weren't like collectively vocal necessarily because I think they had a reputation to keep the Santa Claus. But actually to see them in mass with Alec Bohm and then Trey Turner be like, hey, we got your back in a different way. I think that is a reflection of them winning and also just sort of evolving in a new generation. And I, I think that's really positive because it actually really made a difference to Trey Turner, as you can see, as how his season turned around. 
Yeah, that that was definitely a sign. This is a different time. <laughs> all right, uh, one last thing uh, before I let you guys run. I, I'd actually like to ask all three of you about this. You've all played baseball in October. You're all broadcasting games now in October. What's your favorite thing about broadcasting postseason baseball? I, I don't care who takes this first. Um, Doug, you, you, you want to go first? <laughs> well, I'll start with our guests. I'll start with Ron Darling. <laughs> Ronnie, favorite that, part? Yeah, I, I, I think for when you're playing, and I always say this, uh, the athlete's the last person that can enjoy uh, their successes because you're right in the middle of it. You know, I have people ask me all the time, boy, 86 must have been amazing when you guys were playing. I'm like, amazing is not the word. I, I mean, grind, maybe, that you could mm -hmm. use that word. Um, you know, it, it just, there was so much pressure on that team to win. And if it didn't win, it would have been a total uh, loss. Um, so yes, great moments. And, and I feel it forever, but broadcasting games, I have a, a, a empathy for the person that doesn't do well. And I have great fondness for those guys that can find that time and, Unlike some fans will, you know, say we're rooting for someone. We're, we're, I'm rooting for both teams to play fantastic, for it to be a seven-game series, and in the middle of it, someone to have that moment that is even beyond uh, their dreams when they were seven or eight years old, and they're putting their head on their pillow and saying, one day, if I ever get to play in October, I'm going to do this. And then they're met with that challenge and they meet it. To me, uh, when those things happen in a game, I remember Chris Taylor when he hit the walk-off against the Cardinals in the wild card game. Chris Taylor at some point could not have thought he was going to be in a Dodger uniform against the, the storied franchise, the Cardinals, and hit a three-run walk-off home run. Th those are the times when I stand in the booth, when we have to be quiet and let the moment play, that I have always a bemused smile on my face, kind of like when Ben Affleck and Goodwill Hunting went to get Matt Damon, wasn't in the apartment anymore, and he kind of has that yeah. bemused smile, like yeah, that's pretty awesome. Example. That yeah. is how I feel uh, when guys do great things in the postseason. Mine, yeah, that's good. Mine, mine would be two things. I, the postseason's the best time of year if you're a baseball player. You live for it. You love it. You never know when you're going to get back. You're fortunate to be in it. And my favorite thing is right before the game, when we come on air and everybody's up waving the towels and everything, it takes me back to my days with my dad and my brother mm. at County Stadium and then Turner Field, seeing that postseason atmosphere. And I'm eight years old with my with my you know my dad and my brother, and I just think how cool those moments are for the kids that are in the stands. The are in the stands. And then I love the big moment when, you know, it's the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth inning. The other day when Acuna's up with three, two bases loaded, three to one ball game, anxiety, nerves, excitement, all that. Because I go back to just thinking when I was in Texas in 2010 and Neftali Feliz struck out A-Rod to send us to the World Series, like the greatest feeling I've ever had was running into that dog pile. And I just think I know those players are feeling the same thing. And it's cool to know that other people get that excited about it. So those are my two favorite things about postseason announcing. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm loving um, the hometown kid coming home, feeling like, you know, Zach Gallen, Christian Walker, Pencil, you know, they're kind of from the area. And Zach Gallen was talking about how his mom, uh, you know, wanted to sort of came to the World Series. He got his mom World Series tickets last year. And and then she kind of told him like, hey, you know, I wish this for you to be able to play in front of against these players, these fans in Philadelphia, because what it meant. And, you know, so they come full circle of like and he was a Cardinals fan, but their you know, family being in the area had this Philadelphia Philly. So they went to the World Series. So I love to kind of hear those stories because in many ways covering the game is for me is like a family reunion. You know, I like every time I come onto the field, I, I'm always appreciative of the, the generations of baseball history that's in front of me. Like, I just love that. Like, it's an honor, you know, Ron Darling, I watched him, you know, growing up and I read his book. We talked about the complete game, um, but it's like, it's like surreal in a way. Right. So you have, you know, players that you were fans of players you admired there's coaches and then there's like the next generation and there's players that now rooted for you as a kid and you get to weave all these stories together with your kind of institutional knowledge that you gain from just being around it um and so i i love that part you know that and uh, to be able to tell the story in the game is uh you know sort of the cherry on top um but to to both of their points with, with ronnie and, and frenchie it's like sometimes it's the silence of the time where they always teach you in, in announcing, right? When to not speak. <laughs> uh, to me, that's what all comes together for me. It's like the family affair. Um, so I feel always fortunate every day to, to be around the game. You know, Jason, I know all these guys feel the same way, but we are, if there's any uh, responsibility or pressure on us, it's only because we want to be the caretakers for these young players now in their postseasons, we want them someday that they'll put on the game and Doug, Frenchie, or myself will hopefully um, be be as big as the moment is for them. And uh, that's that's the only pressure I ever feel. Yeah, that is so perfectly put. I, I, I guess I'll tell you what my favorite thing about it is. Um, two things. One... I, I love it when I'm in the ballpark when the home team has just won something because that is an emotion, an experience that we don't get to duplicate in any other way, in any other part of our lives. Like, just tell me any other time in your life when 40,000, 45,000, 50,000 people, whatever it is, all show up in the same place and experience the same powerful bonding emotion at the same time. Nothing else gives us that except <laughs> sports and our sport. And I love to be there, feel it, see it. And then the other part is, Ronnie just alluded to this, and it's kind of telling the story. We get to see things that people talk about for the rest of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, these those moments that come along – they're amazing. And it's really important to me when I am at a game where that happened, that moment happens, to tell that story in a way that makes people people feel when they're reading it what they felt like when they were watching it. Mm. And that right, that's hard to do. I, I you know, I close the I close these press boxes. I sometimes mm. I write all night. <laughs> Uh, it's worth it to me 
because there's an importance to telling those stories. And, you know, we all get to tell them in our own way. We all get to see these things and experience things, experience these things in our own way. And you know, what we're describing, it's really the magic of October. And I'm so glad that I'm a part of it. We're a part of it. Um, and that you guys are there to tell those stories. So I, it's a busy day. We've all got a lot ahead of us. You're just awesome to join us on the day of a game. Uh, I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. I can't tell you how much we enjoyed it. And I look forward to seeing you guys a lot over the next week. Thank you. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's that time again. It's time for Listener Trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Doug, we nailed a really tough question last week. I don't like our chances this week. <laughs> But you know, at this point, I don't think if we get one question wrong, it puts any kind of dent in our Mr. October reputation. I'm sure you agree with that, right? Well, you know, the thing is, it's all about the bullpen. And um, so we have a great bullpen. Yeah. And uh, even though our bullpen is invisible, um, <laughs> we are going to rely on it heavily today. I want to phone a friend. I definitely do. <laughs> Remember, we were going to do that. We we talked about actually doing that, but we never did. Uh, all right. So... Hopefully people have noticed I've craftily prepared everyone out there for the fact we've got like zero chance to get this week's question <laughs> right. Okay. So keep expectations low, Doug. Can't ever go wrong with that. Uh, on that note, let's bring in this week's special trivia guest star. It is Vic Izzo. Vic, welcome to Starkville. Thank you very much. This is really exciting, Mike. My opportunity. I've, I've always been stumped by your your questions on Mike and Mike, Jason. So I was <laughs> excited to to okay. kind of stump you, possibly. It's so. your revenge. It's the revenge yeah, tour. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so Vic, looking at your your X feed, your Twitter feed, it's like you don't ever post about sports. So we're honored that you trivia <laughs> at us. Uh, t- tell us a little about yourself, uh, where you're from, 
and how you went from posting about uh, Bob Dylan, Jimmy Buffett, and it looks like dairy farming to firing baseball trivia at us. So it, that's really interesting. So I'm originally from the Hudson Valley of New York. I grew up in, a, I actually went to the same high school as Jeff Perlman. Um, interestingly oh, wow. enough, Mayapak High right, School. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. And I, um, I currently teach at the University of Vermont in the plant and soil science department. I'm a, I'm an entomologist. So I study insects. I help farmers kind of work with um, kind of any pests that they, that they have to deal with on their farms. And I teach a ton um, around something called agroecology. So like ecological agriculture, essentially. Wow. Um, and, cool. and I'm also a DJ sort of, I'm, I'm on community radio. So I like, I'm a big music fan, huge Dylan file. So that's, that's where that comes from. But I've been playing, I've, well, I've been obsessed with baseball my entire life. And I've been playing fantasy baseball since 92, um, probably. Um, so even when I do just on paper, you know? Um, yeah. And so I've been a rabid, I don't post a lot of baseball because I feel like it get kind of contentious or just sports in general. <laughs> really? <laughs> exactly. I really, I follow, I follow you all and I listen to your podcast and um, this is really, this. I'm tickled pink by this. It's really Thank exciting. You. We're, we're great to have you here. Um, I, I saw you retweet, tweeted, a, a Todd Snyder post, right? And I once took my wife to see Todd Snyder and she said, what is up with this guy? <laughs> We're not going to get into that, but he's quite a character. Uh, all right, look, it's a crazy, busy day for us. So let's do this. Uh, Vic, time for you to hit us with your trivia question. All right, here's the question and it's it's perfectly timed for the LCS. So who are the three players that have won multiple LCS MVP awards, and how many of those three won them with the same team? And you can name them if you want to, like, and the teams. I have all that information. <laughs> oh, I bet you do. All right, look, this is way too hard. So, Doug, I know that usually three answers does not normally exceed the Glanville line, but if you do want to try to negotiate some sort of operational multiple choice type option with Vic, this feels like an excellent occasion to do that. I'm going to get out of the way, see what you want to pull off now. I, I don't even know what to ask for in this one. Uh, well, I guess one one question is, who's your team? That sometimes helps us. Like, who did you uh, grow up? I'm a Yankee fan. Yeah. Okay. So. Yankee fan. All right. How's that? I was at, I was at um, no, I, Oh, yeah. So you got. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I mean, three. We have to get three. Well, you're saying and the team is that separate? Is that the Wait, bonus? We, we part just have just... to get names. I don't need just to get, get the three names. Get them. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, I I'm gonna dive in. I think we you know can at least give three good guesses. I don't. Yeah. We're not gonna get three right though. So no. Are we, I, uh, I, you know. Okay. Look, yeah. I've, I've thought about this question a lot since Vic posted it, and you know, my first thought was there haven't been that many teams that won a bunch of LCSs in a in a reasonably short period of time and then i realized yeah. that was so wrong i i wrote down <laughs> 10 of them just off the top of my head so uh then i was thinking about all the guys who could have won with multiple teams it, it's just impossible i this is not an award that people remember that vividly right so uh, doug i got one name how about mm -hmm. kurt Schilling? okay because mm -hmm. i'm almost sure he won with the 2001 diamondbacks I think he also won with the 1993 Phillies. He might even have won with the Bloody Sock Red Sox. So I think we have a really good chance with him. But mm -hmm. beyond him, I, I don't even know. I I mean, I, I wrote down a bunch of names. I have no idea, but I'll give you some of the names. 
Bernie Williams had some big LCSs. We got a Yankee fan asking the question. Uh, Joe Morgan, Brooks Robinson, Reggie Jackson could have won with the A's and Yankees, even Orioles. Uh, David Justice, Madison Bumgarner, pretty good in October, <laughs> right? Uh, Gene Tennis kind of jumped oh out of me. Gene Tennis of the seventies. Gene. Ricky Henderson. We always seem to get stumped <laughs> by the Ricky Henderson questions. So, I know. I just, I'm just throwing them out there, Doug. What do you got? Oh wow. Well, I mean, I didn't hear you mention like David Ortiz yeah, or Dustin Pedroia. I know. Um, I thought about Pujols and the Cardinals run, and um, and Jeter. You know, some of the you know think about Yankees. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think, okay, like, like, uh, all right. So, cause LCS, you could have lost in the world series, right? So yeah, 2001, right. When Jeter, uh, well, you know, Jeter hit the home run in the, you know, against young, young Kim or something. Yeah, wrong. That's the, the world, world series. series. He had the right, flip. flip. And that, but that, yeah, that was, flip. The flip. I was there. Was it the division series? You were there for the flip? No, I was uh, there the, there. Oh, the Mr. Yeah. November. Yes. Right. So yeah. he has a nickname for a reason. I figured, I don't know. That was like world series based, I guess. <laughs> I, you know, I feel like it's got to be a Yankee showing. Yeah, I didn't even think about Kurt, uh, but I don't know. Pujols? What do you think of Pujols? I mean, Cardinals. You can never go wrong guessing Pujols. It would be <laughs> wrong, but it'll sound good. <laughs> David Ortiz, now, David Ortiz is big series. You, you, know? you, all right, he was huge in the 2004 LCS, right? So he, he very well could have been the MVP of the like Bloody Sox series. Um, Tigers. And then that you're right. The Tigers series, not uh, this one year. He was he was bad in the LCS, but great in the World Series. I'm, I'm mixing up all my David Ortiz's. Um, uh, yeah, I, again, he's another one you can't go wrong guessing him. So you want to go Schilling, Ortiz, Pujols? It's pretty recent, but we could do that. The Yankees. No it's Yankees. easier. You know what's easier when it's a best of seven, right? right? True. I don't, I don't know for a pitcher. What, what, uh, what do you want to do? I don't know. It seems risky not to have a Yankee in this. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> right. It does. It really does. G okay, Jeter. Schilling, Jeter. Pick a third one, Doug. Uh, well, maybe we should stay away from the Red Sox. Two Red Sox? Uh, yeah, this is Yeah. All right. So what was the other one I mentioned? Uh, Schilling, Jeter. You mentioned Ortiz. Uh, you mentioned Right. Mm. All right. So, all right. Let's throw Jeter in there and Schilling. I don't know. There's a coin toss in the other one here. Uh, Schilling. Let's, oh, let's go. Let's go Ortiz. All right. Schilling. Okay. <laughs> We're going to guess. Okay. We, we didn't Vic, say Pujols, right? Did we say Pujols? Pujols. Go, okay. All right, Vic. This isn't going to go well. Is there any chance? <laughs> it's Kurt Schilling, three different, three different Derek teams. Jeter, Albert Pujols. <laughs> Not you didn't get one of them right. Not one. <laughs> <laughs> of course we didn't. All right, so, let's have it. Yeah. So the one hint I would have given you is that all these were between seventy-eight and ninety-five. Yeah, that would have been a oh. good hint since we guessed yeah. them all after that. <laughs> yeah, all after that. So and there's two pitchers. So the pitchers were and and oh. all of them did it with different teams. Ooh, so, wow. Yeah, Hershiser yeah. did it in eighty-eight with the Dodgers and ninety-five with Cleveland. Wow, I thought about wow. it. Wow. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Dave Stewart. Ooh. 1990 <laughs> with the A's and 93 with the Blue Jays. Amazing. And then, oh, good. 
And then Steve Garvey, 78 Dodgers Garvey. or Padres. Wow. Padres. Yeah. Um, Man, they're all like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we picked this question because it was fun, not because we thought we had any shot at getting <laughs> it. So I, I, this is causing me no mental anguish. Uh, <laughs> luckily, the portion of this segment that involves us is over. The best portion <laughs> coming right up. That's the portion where we bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to play another fabulous play-by-play clip involving this week's answer. So, Tim, what do you got for us this week? We're going to go back to 1988. Well, I had to go with the team that actually ended up winning the World Series, too. It felt wrong to go with a team that that ended up losing. So the 88 Dodgers, Oral Hershiser, obviously magical all the way through. But here's Game 7 of that National League Championship Series against the Mets. Oral Hershiser goes to the mound for the Dodgers, making his fourth appearance in the series. To left center field and deep and all the way back and making the catch on the run is Gonzalez. In the World Series, the theme is California. Here we stay. Shut out in game seven of the NLCS. California, here, here we stay. stay. Really here good stay. stuff there by the, the, the master. Uh, Vic, we loved your question as impossible as it may be. Okay. But thank you uh, for being part of Starkville. You got your Mike and Mike revenge. Please come right back on. again. Sometime. It was an honor. Thanks, guys. Strange but true. The season may be over, but the Strange but True segment just keeps on rolling right through the postseason because that's how baseball is. Uh, you, you wouldn't think that this time of year you would still be seeing stuff that you never saw before in your life, but it's still happening. And you know why that is, right, Doug? It's baseball. Am I right? (laughs) Baseball. (laughs) Gotta love it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so in the division series, the Braves didn't do much of anything right, okay? But the one thing they definitely did right has made it onto this segment. Let's go back to an incredible moment. Okay, this was last Monday night. Game two of the division series, Phillies-Braves, ninth inning. Braves have just taken the lead. They lead by a run. Bryce Harper on first base. Nick Castellanos with a huge swing. I I just can't wait to hear the call of this again. So let's do that. Castellanos in the air to right center field. Harris is on the run. Harris at the track. He leaps and he makes the catch. Harper might be doubled up. The throw gets away. The throw to first. It's over. It's over. Harper never tagged. He couldn't get back. And it's a double up to end game two. Wow. Wow is right. Brian Anderson, fantastic call on TBS, really captured the moment. Uh, you know, he texted me the next day and said, I never saw a game end that way. And my response was, has anyone? Okay. So, so Doug, you were also on that call for ESPN Radio. What, what do you remember about trying to ab- absorb the moment? But he also had to frame all the stuff that went into it. This remarkable catch. Austin Riley being in the right place. I don't know how he got there to pick the baseball up and fire to first. Bryce Harper's base running. 
And then just the sheer drama of a game ending like that. What do, what do you remember about trying to well, plan that all into your call? <laughs> you talk about pendulum swings. I mean, I wasn't sure which way to go because you're like trying to get ready for Harper might try to might score on this play. <clears throat> you know, a big run. You know, you get the tying run. You're like, okay, you know, this is a big moment. And uh, and Harper, as he got closer, you know, it was one out. So you're thinking, all right, you always go more than halfway. You kind of put yourself in a position to score or go back. That's what you're shooting for. And it's a tough thing to find that sweet spot because you don't want to get too far, but you don't want to be too close. So Harper, but he was going full speed. He had decided at some point, this is a, this is a double at least. And I was like, I could see like, I think he's doing this a little prematurely. You know, first of all, Michael Harris, the second, he's incredible out there, right? I mean, he go gets it and he's got really good angles. So I could see like he was starting to outrun the ball a little bit and he was getting under there and, you know, he makes the jumping catch. But then Harris, you know, picks up the ball and just fires it in. Like almost like I'm just throwing it. I just got to get rid of it. Misses both cutoff men. And Riley, who, of course, had moved a little towards third, just in case Harper was coming around, just like, as he described, he kept saying, he kept pointing to one, first, first, first. And once he saw it miss both cutoff men, he realized that every time he kept saying he was inching towards first base. He said <laughs> it's almost like first base became like magnetic, as he described. Yeah. So as he inched, he started to follow the ball and realized that it missed everybody. And he he did a quick catch and release. I mean, very impressive how he scooped that up and fired the first. So it was it was just like a race against time and then a race of like almost like retrograde, right? Like, you know, Harper's going forward, now he's going backwards, <laughs> and everybody's all of a sudden focusing on first base instead of, you know, the possible run scoring. And you know, I mean, it was like it, it was it was such a change of circumstances. And uh and you know, Harper took a chance, uh, you know, and it was Obviously didn't didn't play out, and the Braves all of a sudden the team that was flat for getting shut out in game one, game two could not figure out how to get to Zach Wheeler, and then within the last few innings they finally scored, and then this is the way the play ended. I mean that was just the that was just sort of the summation of playoff baseball. Mm -hmm. About one minute you're on top, and the next minute you're like trying to figure out why you're home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Doug, you played center field in the big leagues for nine seasons. Did you ever start a walk-off double play that you can recall? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, <laughs> I, it seems like I've seen it before, but certainly not at that stage, you know, not at this playoff stage. Um, you know, you, you have to end up, you have to just make a great catch and of something that they didn't expect you to make and someone just being over-aggressive. I've definitely doubled up my share of guys. Um but yeah, I don't know about like a walk-off game ending where you you know that that was just incredible, especially the playoffs. And and Harris had a couple of double plays in the series. Yeah. Uh we saw also Tuve get doubled off in a similar kind of play, not a game ender though. But you know, it's it's like you always have to remember you touch second going by, you gotta retouch it and go back. And Harper did that right, uh, but he just got too far. Yeah. Um we do tidbits in this segment. Let's give you some tidbits. Okay. Um, would you like us to play the audio of all the eight, five, three double plays in postseason history? Oh, wait, we just did that. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's never been another one at any point in any postseason game. That's amazing, right? But I mean, it's hard to have a double play that way if you think about it. And 
then I here's the question that I asked stats after that game, just trying to absorb the magnitude of what we just saw. Had there ever been any kind of walk-off double play started by any outfielder in any postseason game? And they they literally went through every postseason game of history. And the answer was, of course not. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> that is one strange but true way to end a game. And Dougie just alluded to this. So naturally, since then, we've had two more double plays started by mm-hmm. outfitters, including the amazing Evan Carter, Jose Altuve plays Sunday night ALCS game one. Does it seem like that's a lot of double plays started in the outfield in a week to you? It does to me. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it's it's a lot of plays. I mean, you no, know, it's a lot of double plays. And, you know, you always think about the – you talk about the electricity in these ballparks. Uh, there's also players just get amped up. They're like, oh, and even then, you know, as good as base run as Harper is, you know, it's just like overexcitement. You, and you could see in those plays the the challenge of managing those emotions in a critical play that's going to give you a run, a tie a game. And how do you like kind of still make the right read? It's really hard. And I, I think those plays summed it up really well about trying to do too much. Like that's a phrase you always hear. Don't try to do too much. Well, you're kind of overdoing it more of running off of wish and hope than you are actually reading the play fundamentally. Uh, you know, Evan Carter's play, the ball, he was talking about how the ball might have went into the Crawford boxes, but it didn't. And then, you know, maybe it was lost. And Altuve, his mistake was running back and not retouching second base because you panic. He, he catches it, and then your thought is like, let me just go straight to first, and you have to retrace your steps. And there's there's really, I don't know if there's any play like it in baseball where you have to kind of like put yourself in reverse, you know, like, I don't know if there's anything like it. It's like run forward, no run backward. Is there like anything in football or tennis or I don't know if there's anything like it where you literally have to be like an eight millimeter, you know, film that you have to rewind yourself (laughs) to do the right thing. That's another thing that's so powerfully unique to baseball. Uh, But yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's not good base running. But it's like it's like almost understandable base run. Right? It's like okay, I see why that happened, uh, and and kudos to the uh, the defense to, to go out there and actually, you know, make the right play and and uh, you know get those runners off at first or at least pay attention. In the case of instant replay, like Altuve never touched the bag, so um, it's really cool. And uh, once again, playoff baseball stuff we've never seen before happening every day. <laughs> yeah. All I know is it feels like every outfielder I know has started a double play in the last week, except Doug Lanville. (laughs) (laughs) Baseball is so good this time of year. Uh, All right. That's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all postseason long on the athletic baseball show, which is available in its entirety. Absolutely free everywhere. You get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the great postseason baseball coverage in The Athletic, we can tell you how. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can sign up for a one-year subscription for just $1 a month for the next 12 months. But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast because every show we pick some fun listener trivia question. Then what happens? The lucky listener himself or herself gets to join us right here and prove once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. 
So let's run through the ways you can do that. You can email us at Starkville at theathletic.com. You can check out my Facebook fan page or my mm-hmm. Blue Sky feed, or you can do what Vic Izzo did and X at us on the site. <laughs> we always have to say now every week used to be known as Twitter. <laughs> so Doug, if I remember right, you used to be known as Doug Lanville. What are you right. known That's as right. now? If someone wants to I, ask a question at you. Yeah, I did. I did update my name and is now Doug Lanville. Um, so that's what well we done. try to do around here. Yeah, very creative, right? Um, you know, I didn't go like the formerly known as. I just said, I'm Doug Lanville now. Sort of like Batman <laughs> declaring himself. So very simple to spell that. D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N. And as a Nancy, that is V as in Victor, I-L-L-E. So just one word, no hashtags, no spaces, no underscores. Mm-hmm. At Doug Lanville. Uh, and that's it. X, put an X somewhere in there just for fun. <laughs> yeah, you can start to spell my name, but the good news is you don't have to finish it because I am at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T, Jason with a Y-S-T. Uh, hey, remember, hashtag those questions, hashtag Stuckville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Ron Darling and Jeff Francoeur for the fantastic visit. Thanks to Vic Izzo for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, to McMaster for producing us and putting up with us. And Doug and I will see you soon on Starkville. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.